Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, alongside your host, Michael John Cusick. Yo. Good to see you again. It is great to see you. We're still here in Colorado. Still here, face-to-face, in our second episode of season number eight, and uh, a great uh, series of conversations uh, based on your book, Surfing for God, in which last week we kicked off with an introductory uh, episode, and so I encourage you those today to uh, to not move forward until you have gone back and listened to uh, the last episode that we did, the introductory uh, chapter of uh, Surfing for God. So on today's episode, Michael, you're going to be talking about the broken promises of porn. Yep, and uh, the broken promises are a number of uh, ways that we can kind of see into our soul to understand why we're doing what we're doing. And they really represent some of the major themes in the book. But I want to start with a story. Uh, the year was 1989. I had graduated college shortly before. And like uh, many blue collar kids in Cleveland, I graduated uh, college had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to teach high school, which was what my degree was in. So I started a painting business. And I'll never forget uh, arriving at my job. I didn't subscribe to the local newspaper. So I saw the newspaper on uh, my my customer's porch, picked it up, was going to carry it inside. And the headline said, FBI raids escort service. And of course, an escort service is a a euphemism for a high-priced prostitution ring. And there had been a local athlete and celebrity uh, that were involved in this raid. Their names were found. And my name was in the, quote, little black book that had been confiscated because I had been using that high-end prostitution service, despite me being just a recent college graduate and probably making less than minimum wage. But I was at the height of my sexual addiction then, which began years earlier with my pornography struggle. Well, fortunately and providentially, within 24 hours after that headline and me imagining myself being in an orange jumpsuit in prison, I ended up in a Christian counselor's office and I walked in and he sat down. He said, so how can I be of help? And for 50 minutes, I talked nonstop. 
without a breath. I told him my story of sexual abuse beginning when I was young, and I told him about growing up in a dysfunctional alcoholic family, and I told him every single instance of sexual sin and acting out. And when we were just near the end of the session, he raised his arm up very conspicuously, looked at his watch, and said, we're almost out of time. Would you like to hear some thoughts? And I finally took a breath, and I said, sure. Uh, And in my head, I thought, you know, why am I paying you money if you're not going to do that? Not realizing at all that I had completely dominated the session and not allowed him to get a word in edgewise. So he says to me, I have a question and a comment. First the comment, then the question. And of course, this, this got my intention because he was so intentional. And he leaned forward and looked right at me and he said, you strike me as a very lonely man. And when he said those words, they pierced my heart. They took my breath away because I was an extrovert. I was a young life leader, youth minister. I was really good at kind of gathering people around me and getting people to laugh. But what he saw in that 50 minutes was a man who was really lonely, a man who was searching for connection, for intimacy, a man searching to be known. And at the end of it all, he saw me not being able to find or get what I was looking for. Then, as I had no time to respond, he said, and now the question, are you ever at a loss for words? And (laughs) I remember when he said that, I kind of, you know, if I was drinking a glass of water, I would have done the (laughs) kind of thing, because that's not socially appropriate talk. But what was so brilliant about what he did His name was Mike Mischia. He's a psychologist in the greater Cleveland area with North Coast Family Foundation. What Mike did that was so brilliant was instead of focusing on an addiction, instead of focusing on the sin, because he knew that I had memorized scripture and done Bible studies and gotten accountability and tried everything and that I was at the end of my rope, what he did was he put words to deep desires in my heart legitimate God-given longings for connection. And he said, you're really lonely. That's the problem beneath the problem, is what he was saying. And then by saying, are you ever at a loss for words, he was very kindly, albeit strongly, putting words to my way of relating, my scheme, the purpose of my heart. In Proverbs 20, verse 5, it says that the purposes of our hearts are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. And already in that session, by saying, you strike me as a lonely man, and are you ever at a loss for words, without actually getting me to respond, he was highlighting the purposes, the motives, the agendas that were deep in my heart. And one of the strategies and motives that I was operating out of was I will never let people get close to me. And almost prophetically, when he said, are you ever at a loss for words? He was saying, what's happening right here in the counseling room where you're trying to control me with your words and your banter and trying to get me to laugh and and whatnot and not catching a breath? I, I wonder if that's the same thing you do with people on an everyday basis. I wonder if that's what you would do with a woman. I wonder if that's why you're not able to enter into an intimate relationship. Had he said, well, you're a sex addict and you need to go to treatment, 
which I think is an appropriate response for some people in some situations. But had he said that, I wouldn't have gone back to counseling with him because it would have felt too close to the same old, same old. And instead, I went out in the parking lot and I sat in my car and I thought, I don't know what just happened. I feel loved and I feel beat up. I feel known and I feel exposed. But whatever just happened, I want that to continue to happen because I felt strangely loved for the first time and strangely hopeful that someone could lead me to the root of this problem. And it really came down to a matter of connection. Absolutely. You know, the, the longings of our heart to, to connect with one another uh, horizontally and to connect vertically with our God. And in that moment, there was a, a very real connection that was there where he responded in, I, I think, the best way possible. And then what that relationship was really about for the next, the next two and a half years as he continued to be my counselor was him connecting with me, me connecting with him and really allowing myself to be known. And there was this deep agreement in my heart that I can never be known. No one can really know everything about me without running out of the room. And he was the first person to know everything about me and to not run out of the room. So getting to uh, to your book, uh, Surfing for God, let's jump in and talk about the issue of lust. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why is porn so compelling as it relates to lust? How come it's powerful and seemingly impossible to battle? Well, because it speaks to legitimate God-given desires inside of us. And so when Mike spoke to that longing and yet the loneliness, and when he spoke to the longing for connection and holding him and others at a distance, he was speaking to these deep desires. And so the chapter in the book called It's Not About Sex is really uh, about just that, that issues with lust, porn, sexual sin, sexual addiction and compulsion, um, they're not, as we often think they are, about sex. I remember going to my youth minister and saying, um, I- I'm so excited because I've been praying lately for God to take away my sexual desires. And he turned to me as he was driving his 1984 Volkswagen Rabbit, slammed on the brakes and said, Michael, God doesn't want to take away your sexual desires. And I thought that was the only solution. Instead of understanding what those desires were actually about beneath the sexual um, longings and the misdirection of them. And eventually that, too, is what happened in counseling. And so porn has a kind of cartoon bubble. I'll often ask people in my office, if your issue, whether it's anxiety or anger or let's say an eating issue, but in this case, let's say it's a struggle with pornography. If that struggle could, you know, be turned into a human being and have a voice and there was a little cartoon bubble coming out of the struggle with lust, what would the bubble say? And that led me to this idea that if sin was first committed in the Garden of Eden and that the fruit that Adam and Eve ate promised them something, the scripture says in Genesis 3 that it was pleasing to the eye that it was good for food to eat, but it also promised them something above and beyond that. It promised a sense of control. It promised a sense of, I will not have to trust God, who I'm not very sure that I can trust, because by that point, the serpent 
had put a suspicion into their mind as to whether they could trust God. The serpent said, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And then as Eve answers that question, she adds to it. Well, he did say that we can't, we can eat from any tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we can't eat from it and we can't touch it. And God, of course, never said that we shouldn't touch the tree. Someone has said that that was Eve introducing religion, introducing performance, introducing this idea of adding to what God has said. So I have to be perfect. I have to be better. I have to try harder to get over the struggle. But in the Garden of Eden, the fruit promised her something, and all sin promises us something, but it never delivers on the promise. It always over-promises and under-delivers. And so the promise is really a broken promise. The porn will make you feel like a man. The porn will give you comfort. The porn will give you life, and yet it ends up leaving you empty and ashamed. So the first of these broken promises is this idea that pornography promises a validation of our manhood but without requiring strength. In his book, Wild at Heart, John Eldridge said that the reason why pornography is the most addictive thing in the universe is that it allows a man to feel like a real man without requiring him to be a real man. And so I'll often ask men this question in the first conversation where, you know, they're wanting to come in and talk about sex addiction and porn and lust and help me to get this under control. And I'll say, well, let's talk a little bit first. I get to know them. And then I'll ask a question. Where in your life do you typically feel the strongest and the manliest? And now I've been counseling almost 30 years professionally. And in all of that time, I've never had a man respond by saying, I feel the strongest and manliest in the presence of my wife. They'll say things like at work, in the boardroom, um, in sports, in hobbies, in doing things like hunting or fishing with my son, or sometimes they'll say, I don't have anywhere where I feel strong and manly. There it is. Boom. Porn makes you feel strong and manly. And it's not that there's anything wrong with women. It's actually that there's something profound and beautiful and glorious about women in that women are far, 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 far stronger and substantive than men in the church have historically given them credit. And so a man who is not connected to his heart and who is not a wholehearted man will flounder in the presence of a real woman operating and living from her heart. In other words, a real woman connected to her heart will and can expose a man as feeling utterly inadequate, and therefore that man turns to porn. So it's almost uh, by design. The uh, compliment uh, a woman can be for a man, and if it's um, used in the wrong ways— then you end up down a very dark path. But used in its redemptive and intentional ways, uh, what the Lord intended, it really can be beautiful harmony. Are you referring to 
sex in terms of used, or are you referring to the masculine and feminine? Uh, the masculine and the feminine. That what um, what you, what you just said in terms of of the ability for men to to feel and to be strong in front of the presence of their wives, right? That's the way the Lord intended that relationship to be, and to complement um, the desire in a man's heart. Uh, do I have what it takes? Um, am I strong? Am I respected? These types of things that are at the core of our hearts. For women, the same way. Am I beautiful? Um, do you do you care for me? Dote on me. And so the fulfillment that men and women can find by design, that's what God has intended for us to do. And the broken promises that you are, are pointing out here um, show us the, the deep hole, the black hole of porn and how it affects us in in that way. Yep, absolutely. And so the next one ties into this, Brian. It's that porn promises sexual fulfillment without relationship. And um, as I was writing Surfing for God, I was driving down one of the, the, the kind of main thoroughfares in the Denver metro area at this intersection, and I saw a giant billboard, and uh, it advertised – uh, pornographic adult DVDs at this store that you could go and rent the DVDs in 2012. People still had DVDs. And the sign said, 99-cent adult videos, cheaper than dating. Hmm. So quick review uh, here, um, Michael. Broken promise number one, uh, the validation of manhood. Broken promise number two, sexual fulfillment without relationship. Why don't we take a uh, quick break, and then we'll be back with uh, Broken Promises number 3, 4, and 5. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. You already know we live in a pornified world, but most of us are at a loss for how to navigate this sea of temptation. It's either ceaseless striving on the one hand or giving in to brokenness on the other. But doesn't the gospel offer us another way? The truth is that our sexual struggles are not actually about sex, but about a misdirected, God-given longing for deep connection. Dig deeper in my book, Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. We're uh, digging deep in Surfing for God. Michael John Cusick, what is uh, Broken Promise number three? Number three, drum roll, please. It's uh, that pornography promises intimacy without requiring risk and suffering. And so intimacy is about being who you really are in the moment with another person who's being who they really are. So to the degree that we're posing or pretending or being an imposter, we're not being who we really are. I remember counseling a man once and I said, how do you feel about conflict? And he, he laughed, knowing exactly what I was talking about. And he said, you mean like um, conflict in the Middle East? No, not exactly, with your wife. And he said, I wake up every morning, and at the top of my to-do list, I write, avoid conflict. Uh, he was a funny guy, so we were having a, a fun conversation about this. The point is, this man's life was really designed to never be exposed, because if he was exposed as having an opinion that his wife disagreed with or shot down, uh, that to him that would bring shame and that would bring devastation and a sense of absolute um, – it was, it was unacceptable to him. And so we started to um, – explore how he really wanted intimacy and he really craved connection, but 
to the degree that he wouldn't offer who he really was and he couldn't say what he really thought and felt that was inside of him because he was afraid of conflict, how that actually kept him from intimacy. And so as he began to deal with the lies and the wounds that were inside that he had denied or that weren't um, available to be loved and for someone else to connect with, as we began to deal with that, the problem with pornography really lost its uh, momentum, and that person experienced pretty significant healing. I want to read a real quick quote around this. C.S. Lewis wrote, and perhaps people have heard this, to love anything at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safely in the casket of your selfishness. And in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will not change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell. And so this is why pornography is a kind of hell, because we become captive to it, and it keeps us from the very thing that we want the most. Okay, moving to broken promise number four. What do we have? Porn promises passion and life without connection to your soul. This idea of life, not the the biblical Greek word of bios, where we get the word biology life, but the word zoe, Z-O-E, which has to do with vitality and vibrancy and a quality of life, a sense of, of passion and depth and something generative. That's the kind of life that we are created for that Jesus spoke of when he said, uh, that, that he came to bring life to the full or overflowing. And I remember, um, being with my son snowmobiling. He was about 12 years old and we were out at a friend's ranch in Colorado and there was three feet of snow and we wiped out the snowmobile and we got it stuck. We had to have a tow truck come and pull it out. It was a huge mess. But when it was all done, my son and I turned to one another and high fived and my son said, this is living. And I'll never forget that moment because it's moments like that that we're searching for, moments of aliveness, moments of connection, moments of adventure where there may be struggle and where things may get turned upside down and we feel stuck. But in that place, as we press in and as we are hopefully connected, we don't have to turn to lesser things to give us that sense of passion and life. Michael, this is really uh, great stuff. Why don't you take us now to number five, uh, The Broken Promise of Porn? Yeah, this one, Brian, if I were writing the book over, I would write an entire chapter on this. And I think um, in the eight or so years since the book has come out, pornography has become so widespread and it's become such a regular part of our culture that men are much more willing to talk about this. But I said that uh, the next broken promise of porn is that it promises power over women without responsibility and humility. And again, this idea that a woman who's who's substantive and connected to her heart, she can, just by being a woman, make a man feel inadequate because women are mysterious to men and because men, when they don't know what to do or how to do it, can either just shut down and withdraw and avoid or attempt to control. 
And so since the book was written, we've had the Me Too movement, and we've had a proliferation in the church of abuse cases come out, and women have gained their voice, and there's much, much more movement in the direction of uh, bringing equality and respect to women and um, uh, telling the truth about how women have been wounded by men. So what I meant by power over women without responsibility and humility is that when a man feels powerless to know how to relate to a woman or when he somehow out of his own brokenness feels exposed and goes to one of those two patterns of trying to control or escalate or withdraw or avoid, a man will try to find power even in his powerlessness. So I was talking with a man many, many years ago. And I was kind of walking on eggshells delicately trying to get him to see that he was using porn as a kind of payback, as a way of his pain and weakness of literally hurting his wife. And I hadn't had many, many conversations like this. So I was kind of sort of maybe, you know, do you think that maybe? And I basically said to him, um, finally, you know, it seems like every time you – look at porn, it's right after you and your wife have had a fight. And he goes, now that you mention it, I feel like every time I look at pornography, I'm just flipping my wife the bird and telling her, that's what I want you to go do. And as we began to talk about how that cruel, mean response was out of a place of his own pain, it wasn't just, well, repent and stop being so mean. He had presumably tried to do that. But the issue of repentance and healing had to do with healing the wound that was beneath the making her pay and hurting her and exposing to the light the lie that he was inadequate and that he didn't have what it took as a husband. Uh, Michael, I've got a confession. What's that? Well, a confession to our listeners. I lied. You lied about what? (laughs) Well, I said that there were going to be five broken promises of porn. But and there's there not six. five. There are six. That's right. And you know, the book actually says five and there are six. So it is a mistake on the behalf of the publisher. But the next one, and by the way, when you said confession, my heart started <laughs> racing because when two guys are sitting down and talking about this, you know, I, I thought you were going to confess to flipping off your wife. But I know you guys and, and we're all broken and here at Restoring the Soul, we're wounded healers. But I'm, I'm glad that the confession was about number six. This is... Pornography promises comfort and care without depending on others. You know, we are all created to be soothed. We are all created to be comforted. And especially as little children, that comfort and care is something that we are dependent on others for. And from the time we're born and infants all the way through childhood, that comfort and care is meant to be a one-way flow, an inflow from a parent, a caregiver, to the child. And to the degree that that's lacking, we're going to either shut down our desire for comfort and care. We might become tough. We might have a very high threshold for pain. We may not have very many needs in relationship. We might have an avoidant relational style. I remember talking with a man who, uh, he was a seminary graduate and just hated himself because of his pornography addiction. And um, he came in with just all the self-loathing. And as we so often do, we got into his story. And uh, one of the poignant moments in his story was his mother was a, a single parent. 
he was an only child and he would come home every day and let himself into the house and make himself a snack. And if there was homework, he would do that. And then for several hours, he would watch TV and he would eventually channel surf. And this was back in the early days of cable television. He would go to the channel where you couldn't see any picture, but it was the adult videos and you would see the whiteout fuzz and kind of uh, 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 a white ni- noise kind of sound. But you could also hear in the background people being sexual and having sex. And he would listen to that. And then within a few years, because this went on for a long time, he would begin to masturbate to that. And as we talked, again, there was so much self-loathing and so much shame. And I tried to help him see, what if you were doing that? Let's Let's step back for a moment from the, quote, sin and the sinful aspect of that. And what if God looked at you? And what if you could see yourself through the lens of that was all I had and all I knew to get comfort? And and what if that was equivalent to you being able to run to your mom when you came home from school and say, Mommy, can I have a hug? Because today I get picked on or because I want to celebrate the fact that I did really well on my spelling test or um, I failed my test. And to be able to get that nurturing, that wasn't available. And so the pornography gave this comfort and care, but in a way where there was no one through no fault of his mother who he could depend on. And those are the broken promises of porn, and addressing these helps us, as I mentioned at the end of the last podcast, to do what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. And here's the quote again. The pursuit of purity is not about the suppression of lust, but about the reorientation of our life to a larger goal. What's that larger goal? It might be to say, I want to become the kind of man who my manhood is validated from God and validated from within. I want to be the kind of man that can depend on others for comfort and care, even though I never learned how to do that. I want to be the kind of man that can be humble and responsible and other-centered with a woman, as opposed to trying to have power over her and so on. And so this reorientation is really about a healing of our hearts and a restoration of our soul as men. So thank you for listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. What we're all about is helping couples and individuals get unstuck. You know how some people go to counseling or marriage therapy for months or even years and never really get anywhere? Our intensive programs help clients get unstuck in as little as two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.